We are finishing up, Lord willing, the book of James this morning. Well, corporate prayer at 12. Uh, as I said before, as I spoke last week, this book has beat me up. Um, remember, <laughs> we, we're doing this so that we might be a people that are mature and not carnally minded. Um, faith without action is not good faith. And so uh, I would have a hard time believing that the Spirit of God has not challenged each and every one of us individually over the last couple of weeks on at least one or two things. So let's just encourage one another and uh, pray that God would help us <laughs> as we try to mature. Sometimes some of these verses, um, the, the first verse here in my passage in James chapter 5, is so simple and yet so profound that sometimes you can read over it and not really see the depth of it. So James chapter 5 and verse 13, I will read through uh, the end. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced his fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your word. Um, Lord, again, today this passage can be uh, difficult, so we pray again that your spirit would uh, just control me, that it, he would do a mighty work. Lord, we simply want you to tell us exactly uh, how to interpret and how to um, apply this to our lives. And so we say these things depending fully on you. Thank you so much uh, for the challenges that are in this book, Lord. Uh, we thank you that uh, we, we need challenges sometimes in our life to know if we are really running the race as we should. And so, again, Lord, we pray that you would guard us, that the only reason we run the race, the only reason we want to be more mature is so that we would please you and that we would grow in our love for you. And so help us during this time. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. The simple and the profound, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. If you're like me, sometimes you can skip over that verse and just kind of go, yeah, well, that's nice. But after we've been through this book for a while now and all the historical context of these Christians suffering... He's kind of coming to the end, right, of the letter. Is anyone among you suffering? Well, obviously, it would appear like everyone who's listening to this letter is suffering. <laughs> and so I like to think, well, man, here it is. Here's the people suffering. He's writing the letter. What's the answer? What are we going to do? Let him pray. Is that answer good enough for us? <laughs> I'm telling you, we, it seems that we've talked about prayer a lot here, and I still don't think myself personally I get it. 
Like we need a lot more messages on prayer. Prayer is actually the power when someone is suffering. It's so simple and yet so profound. And actually, it's a running theme at the end of this. To keep prayer in our, in our focus, that we should be a praying people, especially for one another. And as the idea of where do you go first when you're suffering? If you're talking to the Lord, you're saying, listen, Lord, I'm going to you with my suffering. I'm going to you with it. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing psalms. Is this a command? Like every single time we're cheerful, we have to just break out in song? That would be fun. But I think contextually what it's going to do is really tell us the importance of singing psalms. The importance of music. I've said this a few times too, and it keeps seeming to come up in the passages the Lord gives me. Music and singing psalms is a big part of our faith. Music was around before the fall. It's going to be around after the fall. Heaven is filled with music. Now, again, there's a lot there. But is anyone cheerful? The, the teaching here is, listen, when you're, when you're having a great time, when everything seems right, you still give credit to God. You still go to him first. That's why we sing. We sing our praises to him, saying, I acknowledge it. Hey, man, life is pretty good right now. And I want to give you the credit for that. Singing is giving God credit for it. I'm going to give you a few um, psalms. We're just going to read them, um, singing about praising the Lord. It's always interesting the way that works. I had to do Fruit of the Spirit today. My kids said, Dad, you were awful in rhyming today. I apologize. It happens, okay? But i got to tell you, I, I am glad that we can be a cheerful people and sing. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, in the Psalms, it says over 20 times, I just did a quick count, that we should sing praises. That we should sing praises. In Psalm 717, it says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Psalm 2113, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Psalm 477, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. Psalm 66, 2, sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 147, 1, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Now we know that the whole day, well, I can't sing. We also know that doesn't matter, correct? God asked you to sing anyway. Okay, so the practical application is simply again, a reminder, where does music rank in your home? Especially this time of the year, everyone starts to sing more, right? If you're like me, we actually start to listen to Christmas songs on the radio. We look forward to the day after Christmas, where now you can turn the radio on and just hear nothing but Christmas carols. Music is actually a big part of bringing cheerfulness and expressing that cheer. Where does music rank in your home? How do you practically even sing more? How do you practically even sing more? Is it crazy ideas for us to actually teach the next generation to learn a musical instrument so that it can be used in God's church so that you might be able to get together as a family and friends and sing praises to the Lord? Is that such a crazy idea? Do we not value that? I think we should value those things. 
I, I do want to emphasize again, when we sing here from 11 to 1120, that's a big deal. It is not just we'll do something while people come into church. It is not, well, if I'm done kind of hanging out with my friends, let's just start singing. It is an important time from 11 to 11.20 that you need to be a part of. And I know we sing also during the breaking of bread, but I'm just saying that, again, I can kind of do it now that I'm not in music ministry. Those people have practiced. Okay, your brothers and sisters have practiced. They've put forth time. They've put forth effort. They have prayed over the music that we do. They have looked at it to make sure it is teaching correctly because that's what would line up with Scripture. I just want to say publicly, we need to value that. We need to value what we're singing on Sunday mornings. How many times have you been encouraged in your walk when you're having a bad day and a song comes into your head that you might have even learned here? It's part of your walk. And when we're cheerful, we're called to sing. It's a good thing, guys. (laughs) It's a good thing. So I want to encourage us to make music a priority, even if you have no skills. You know, I think sometimes it's just like anything else in life. We are um, so blessed with the ability now to have music. We can download a thousand songs, um, listen to it in our cars. We, we really have the ability to listen to music all the time now. It always hasn't been that way. <laughs> but don't let the ability to listen to music all the time take away from the beauty of coming together corporately and singing. Because that is another thing we'll be doing in heaven one day. <laughs> we will be together singing. You might have heard the story of Bach. He said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music but only a devilish hubbub. (laughs) He headed all of his compositions with JJ, the initials for Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. He ended them SDG, the initials for Solia de Gratia. I probably messed that up. Sorry if you actually know how that sounds. Which means to God alone be the glory. Music is powerful. We're still teaching Bach. (laughs) We're still teaching it. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This passage has been grossly misinterpreted over the years. Um, We're going to get into it. Um, I will tell you that a lot of these verses where um, Catholics would say we have to confess our sins to a priest. I want to just go step by step, slowly, (laughs) um, how we're going to apply this. How we're going to apply this. Remembering again the context of chapter 5, chapter 4, of Christians being oppressed by other Christians um, and going through suffering times. First off, when it comes to do with why are you sick, we know biblically there's numerous reasons why people can be sick. Sometimes it has nothing to do with sin or Satan, but a purpose of God. Remember the man born blind? Why is he born blind? His parents' sins or his sins? Neither. That's what Jesus said. So there's sicknesses that happen just for the purpose of God. Sickness can come from unconfessed sins. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 11. 
examining ourselves, not discerning the Lord's body. Some are weak among you and have even fallen asleep because of a continual rebellion of a sinful lifestyle. Sometimes it's actually from satanic activity. In Luke 13, Jesus actually says this woman who's kind of been bent over has been oppressed by Satan. Sometimes it's just living in this world. The sickness is a part of the curse. When sin came into the world, death came through sin and sicknesses. And so it's always a hard thing of what sickness are they trying to address here? Can we even know? Why is this person sick? Okay? I think one of the keys would be, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Okay, well, what in the world does sickness and forgiving of sins, how are they related? How does this tie into it? We know that actually there's only one way to be forgiven. Confessing your sins. Right? Like, Jesus Christ will not just forgive sins just because. First John says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means to me, the person who is sick has confessed that they had some sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about the fact that people got sick by by actually not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, they'd come together, they would break bread, they would partake of the wine, and they would have sin between them. They're saying, you cannot sit here and break bread and partake and remember all that God has done for you on the cross, forgiving you, being able to come together as the body of Christ, and you still can't forgive one another. You're not doing this correctly. And because of that, people actually got sick, and some even died. Now, we don't like to talk about that nowadays, because first of all, we love to kind of we love to harp on the unusual. So I'll say very clearly, that is a very rebellious person if the Lord would deem to chastise them through sickness. That is not every time you sin, God punishes you with a sickness. It is the idea that you are in constant rebellion and you refuse to change and you refuse to stop sinning. And in that, God, in his restoration, mercy and grace, is going to try to use sickness to actually bring you about. And so in this context, when we start talking about confessing your trespasses to one another, that's what fits. That's what fits. Okay. So this is the idea of if someone had struggled with sin and they're now confessing it to one another, okay, obviously he will be Forgiven, the Lord will raise him up. Okay, let me give you some more kind of um, defense to build this argument. What's up with the oil? Okay, why do we need to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord? So if you look, was oil ever used biblically? Because first of all, this is good interpretation. When we see these things, is there any other passages that talk about oil and healings? Well, do you know who used oil to heal was the Good Samaritan? It says he actually applied oil to the wounds of that guy. And so that's really one of your biggest things. And in that sense, the oil was medicinal. 
There's also a passage in uh, Luke where it talks about the disciples casting out demons and anointing the sick with oil, and many were healed. That one's a little tough. Um, I still think it would be kind of interesting to sit there and say, well, that's totally like a, a picture of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Um, there's more there. But the idea is a lot of people would say, well, oil's a picture of the Spirit, and this is kind of like an anointing. This is definitely an anointing. It's a miraculous thing. The elders can heal someone. Well, when you look up that word in the Greek, anoint, here's what it says. It is not the usual word for sacrament or ritualistic anointing. The word is alifo. Again, (laughs) my Greek pronunciations are awful. I'm going to give you the verses in which it's used. But you, when you fasted, anoint your head and wash your face. That's in Matthew. They cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. That's the one I just read about the disciples. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and uh, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Talking about the body of the Lord. Stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed her feet and anointed them with ointment. The woman who did that to the Lord Jesus' feet. And then Jesus responds, my head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Then took Mary, as in the book of John, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the anointment. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is there anyone sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Every other time it's used in the New Testament, it has nothing to do with a ritualistic anointing. Actually, it has to do with just wiping people's, anointing their feet, putting it on their head. There's another word in the Greek called chorizo. Again, I messed that up. Okay? This actually would be an anointing of sacrament or ritualistic. In Acts 10, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. In 2 Corinthians 1.21, it says, Now he which established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Two verses here talking about an anointing of Jesus Christ healing everyone and how we've been anointed in God. If this was a special anointing of spiritual power, I think he would have used that word anoint. All the other words that we said the first on the one that is used is about anointing feet and anointing head. In fact, it's pretty interesting that one could say when this happens that really you're to call the elders to see again if there's unconfessed sin. And in fact, it goes on the person, by the way. The elders don't look out for this. They don't go, oh, I noticed you were sick lately. Why don't you come over here? Let's talk about it. (laughs) We're, We're not looking. It's on the person who's sick to say, you know what? And because this is an assembly thing, it's a public thing. There's been unconfessed sin and now God's chastising. You go to the elders because it's a public assembly thing. And so that's that whole idea of saying, listen, okay, we're going to pray over you. And an elder would ask, here at Brantford Bible Chapel, we have asked, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? 
That's what we ask. Now, all that being said, if you want the elders to come and pray with you because you're sick and there isn't really any lifestyle sin that you're dealing with, we are more than happy to. (laughs) Praise the Lord. In fact, that's where we get into confess your trespasses to one another. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But obviously, we should be praying for one another. And we do, right? And we do. So we are here to pray. And we have anointed, uh, we have put oil on people. Absolutely. But I'm telling you contextually, it's if you're struggling with unconfessed sins. Now, the reason sometimes is, is sometimes those things are hard to admit. Those things are hard to admit. And we as elders cannot go, I know you're struggling with that sin. So you get together in a room and we ask a question. Is there anything going on that you want to talk about? Is it, do you think this could be a chastisement of the Lord? And hopefully, guys, I, again, in context like this, remember, God is a long-suffering God, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not make you sick after sinning twice. Like, well, I, I got away with one freebie. Boom. Now I must be sick because... It is a constant rebellious attitude that grieves the Lord. And he doesn't like making you sick, by the way, either. I hope everyone knows that. That has to be a theme of Scripture, of all his mercy and all his love and all his grace. The last thing he wants to do is get you sick. But if you're that stubborn, he'll do what he has to do. And the reason I can emphasize stubborn is I find myself all throughout those stubborn people in Scripture. Those are the ones I can relate to. I... The Israelites numerous times were stubborn. They're called a stubborn people. And so, yes, this stuff happens. You will get people that just refuse and say, I'm going to keep sinning. So God in his mercy is going to deal with it. Now, when we keep going here, it says, confess your trespasses to one another. I think that gives credence again to the idea of there was a problem while you were sick. You had beef with someone. You haven't dealt with it, so go confess that to them, okay? Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. That you might be healed is actually the key there. Why do I say that? Should we take this verse that every Sunday morning we have a time organized where we stand up and just rat out all our sins? I don't want to do that. But do we as Christians look at that and go, hey, you know, we're supposed to tell each other all of our sins. No, that's actually not smart. That would actually go against a few. The reason you do this one is that you would heal. That you're healing a relationship. And you pray for one another. The idea of confess is you agree. Hey, listen to me. I admit that I have wronged you. And I, don't, I want this to get fixed. I want this to be healed. Okay? And can we pray for one another? Because you know what? You know why we pray? Because the person that is offending you that you have problems with, like we talked about last week, They might not be on board yet. They might say, I don't care what you say. I still got problems with you. And that's a reality. That's body life. And so we're to pray for one another. Let me talk about praying for one another a little bit here. Okay? Many times, the only time we pray for one another is when the emergency comes up. Right? So, we're going to talk a little bit about this with this example of Elijah as well. If I'm not constantly praying for you on a daily basis, on a daily basis, and you're running through my mind, and I'm bringing you before the Lord. Well, when an emergency comes up, and I want to pray for you, that's nice. 
But sometimes that's where we don't really know how to pray. If you're constantly on my mind and I'm constantly praying for your spiritual needs, for your physical needs, for just plain life, that it would be a joy for you. Then if I'm in that kind of communication with God and then the emergency happens, I've already been thinking about you. I already am invested in you. And so when uh, the bill is due or a sickness comes, it's going to change my prayer life. Does that make sense? I don't have to sit there and go, oh, no, what's going on? I've already had you in my mind before the Lord. And so we need to be a people practically that pray for one another, not just when emergencies come up. And we've talked about this. There's so many prayers in the New Testament. In the epistles, you'll find that we grow in the grace and knowledge of him, that our love for one another would increase, that we'd be patient with one another, that we'd serve one another. All those things are normal prayers for each other if you don't know what to pray for. And then there's just practical everyday things, right? Practical everyday things. I just found out Guardio might be buying a truck. All right? Is that weird to pray about? No. It's a financial decision him and Don got to make. I pray that I won't be jealous when he gets it. See? A lot of prayer going on. A lot of prayer going on. We should be a people that get into the habit of praying for one another. And, you know, little plug-in for the care groups. Okay? You have to know someone in order to know what to pray about. <laughs> That's why we say doing life together. Like, I don't have much to pray about you if I haven't talked to you in eight weeks. You know, that's, that's where we just pray the, okay, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And I don't mean to at all downplay that. I'm just saying I don't know what to pray about, but I don't know you. I don't talk to you. Okay, so those are some of the things we do about praying with one another. What does it practically look like, though? This idea of confess your trespasses to one another. I want to encourage us with this. When is the last time you apologize to someone in this assembly? When's the last time you apologized to someone? You went up to them and said, hey, I shouldn't have said that. I had a lot of examples for this one. I don't want to share them. <laughs> I'll tell you this. There's numerous times that I had to sit there. You know, usually, typically, this is not a good practice. I'm telling you. But the bread is about to be passed, and I'm like, oh, no. Kim, I need your forgiveness. And that's not right waiting till that. Hopefully you can do it before you get here. <laughs> but I got problems. You know what I mean? I got problems sometimes. That should be happening. We don't at all like the fact that we're upsetting each other and uh, sinning because sin's never okay. But there should be apologizing going on because we're human. Okay? And so I just want to encourage us. When's the last time we've apologized to one another? No one in this church has ever made you upset. No one ever rubbed you the wrong way and you got mad. You might have blown it. Maybe you yelled back. Maybe you gave them the silent treatment. It's not just okay to sweep those things under the rug. <laughs> it's just not. We've got to be a people that practice humility and go, you know what? I'm sorry. Sorry I did that. Don't take prayer for granted because it works. It works. Okay. So now it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's not like this super spiritual prayer, okay? It's the idea of an effective, fervent prayer. It means you desire to pray. You're in it. This is a normal part of who you are. And they're going to give us Elijah as an example here. Now remember the context of this story. Israel 
is not in a good place. They are worshiping other gods. You have Ahab and um, Jezebel, and this is right before the um, Mount Carmel, Elijah bringing down fire and slaying all the prophets of Baal. They are not in a good spot as a country spiritually, okay? And so this effective, fervent prayer happens. Now, I want to talk about how he prayed because, again, sometimes we're like, man, maybe if we had like these special prayers or something like that, more cool stuff would happen. Right? Like sometimes that's just our nature. We're like, oh, man, if I just could pray the right way, could I bring fire down from heaven? Why not? I got the spirit of God living in me. How guys like Elijah do it? Because it says was a man with a nature like ours. So I just want to go into context a little bit. Okay. Why did Elijah sit there and say it's not going to rain? Do you know the Bible says in first Kings, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's the context of Elijah going, you know what? Ain't going to rain. This was not like a, oh, the king kind of ticked me off. I'm a Christian, so I can go, no rain. This is an idea of a prophet talking with God on a daily basis and realizing that this king provoked the Lord to more anger than any other king before him. And so this, again, has to do with a rebellious heart. And so Elijah gets to sit there and say, listen, it's not going to rain. Okay, then when he prays for rain, realize that God told him first, I'm gonna, it's time for it to rain now, Elijah. Elijah didn't sit there and just magically come up with a time like he was the judge. Like he got to sit there and say, you know what, I think Israel's okay now. Now we'll bring some rain. God told him now it's time to rain. And so in that context, Elijah's going to pray for the rain, even though God already told him it was going to rain. And when he prays, it says this. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. I want you to see how he prayed, knowing that God already said it's going to rain. Bowing his head between his knees before the Lord, saying, can it pray now? Knowing that God already said it's going to rain. The communication between him and God is amazing and his attitude towards it. And I just want this to be examples of what it looks like when we go to the Lord before with prayer. It's not like, well, I got this power from the Spirit, so let me just throw out some stuff. The idea is Elijah knows it's going to rain and he's on his face going, okay, Lord, is it okay to, to, to rain? And then remember the story where he goes back and forth and he sends the guy seven times. It says seven times he prays. Seven times for that little cloud to pop up. Does he have lack of faith? Why do he have to pray seven times? This is the story that we're reading about in James, that this effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This is how it happened, guys. He prayed seven times with his face in the ground, knowing God said it was going to rain. Is that how your prayer life looks? Not mine. Not mine. <laughs> and again, I have had some times where God has been gracious, where my prayer life was so sweet, because I was talking to him so much, I felt a nearness and closeness to God, and it changed my, my mind, the way I thought. And I have to tell you, there's times where I, I understand that I, I have not prayed like that. 
and that my relationship wasn't that closeness that I've had. This is not a gimmick when we talk about praying for one another. It is a lifestyle of constant intercession and talking with your Savior. And that's when I do think miracles happen. Can God heal people today? Absolutely. Is it weird for us to pray that someone gets healed? Absolutely not. Christians get tricked up into going, well, if that person didn't get healed, then what happened? Because we know there's a power there, so what happened? I will say this for my encouragement. I don't think we pray enough to even figure those things out. I really don't. And you might not like that answer, but we don't pray enough to figure those things out. <laughs> it says pray without ceasing. A lot of these guys that did so many unbelievable things for the Lord were praying for hours on a daily basis by themselves. Hours just praying. <laughs> It's going to end up with, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I believe this is talking about believers. First of all, it says, brethren, the context is written to James. It says, any that wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Okay, the reason I say that is some people have a hard time with that. They say, no, this has to be talking about a non-Christian. I think it's talking about a believer. Okay? How good are we at those who have wandered from the truth that we even think about them and pray about them? Another beat up for me. <laughs> I got too many things to think about besides those who have gone astray. I do. And it's not how it should be. Because remember, this whole book is about your faith put into action. And it's not even necessarily saying we've got to go hang out, we've got to go talk, just pray. How many of us have been praying for those who have wandered from the truth? Because the whole idea is, again, that God wants restoration. This whole idea of Elijah and the prayer was not just to necessarily show off, it was to restore Israel to a right relationship with God. The reason we talk about healing with elders over that, restore someone, get rid of the sin. The ultimate goal is to restore people. Restore them back to the faith. Why? Because God's the best. When they're in the world, when they're suffering and they're sin, they're suffering. There's enough of that that goes on. Come on. We've got to understand. We've got to believe it. The best life is the Christian life, and that's why I want to pray for you. But you can't have the best life if you're wandering away from the truth. You can't. And it should break my heart when you walk away from the Lord. Because you're going down a road that can bring you a lot of distress. I just want to cry out to my God, God, please, can you help them? Please, can you just shine your light upon them? Please, bring them back, God. Bring them back. And I'm glad we have a God that wants to. He wants to. It says here, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. There's a few different ways you can see save a soul from death. One is physical death. Maybe referring to, again, 1 Corinthians 11. There is times where you have sinned so much in your rebellion that God will take you out. That's the truth, people. That's the truth. But again, don't sit there every time someone dies and go, well, that must have been. Because that's just bad. (laughs) That's not using wisdom. Another thing is just looking at death again from separation. You you save them from that separation. They've lost fellowship with the Lord. 
And here's the big one, and cover a multitude of sins. And, I, man, I was like, whoa, what does that? I struggle with that verse a lot. Like, I, I'm not down with that. I, we don't cover over sins, all that stuff. Okay? Here's where I want to look at it. Okay? When it says cover, it really means to hinder the knowledge of something. So here's what it actually means. And, again, we said this here at Brantford Bible Chapel. If someone is in rebellion of sin and they come back to the Lord, the gospel would teach we don't hold it against them. You get to cover over a multitude of sins. Everyone knows that person went wayward. Everyone knows they went wrong. They went in the world. If their heart of confession is real, they went, they're like the prodigal son. I want God back. Then we let it go. Because that's the gospel. And so we've said before, if there's discipline in the assembly, the moment they come back, we let it go. We let it go. Christians cannot hold on to someone who's been wayward, and then they try to get back with the Lord and still hold it over their head. That is unbiblical, unchristlike, and anti-gospel. <laughs> and so I want you to think about the whole context of this book in closing. That we're supposed to be mature believers, ones who control our mouths, who are going to go through trials, who are going to go through temptations, who are going to have Christians that bother us. And our goal is to restore people to the Lord. And you just wait for them to return. That's a hard message, guys. But that's the calling. And so practically, let's pray for one another. Let's not forget those who have wandered from the truth. And confess your sins to one another. If you've got beef with someone, you've got to deal with it. Uh, we're going to have corporate prayer. I'm going to have Jeff, if you don't mind, whenever you feel led to close. We'll go 20 after. But whenever you feel led. <laughs> I'm going to start. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for your word. Um, Lord, these can be hard passages uh, to interpret. We pray again, Lord, that you would just continue to shine light. on. Uh, we just want to know the truth from you. And so, Lord... Um, help us to um, practically um, know how to love and respond to those who have wandered from the truth. Lord, it's a, it's a tricky thing. If they're still stubborn, if they're still not wanting to come back, um, we don't want to be misled. That bad company does corrupt good character, and yet um, we want to love them as you have loved them and uh, seek the lost. And so we just need your help so bad in practically knowing how to. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to pray more. Uh, pray for each other. Uh, pray for our spiritual walks. Pray for those uh, from this assembly who have wandered from the truth, that you would uh, bring them back, that you would see fit, uh, that they'd get back together with you so they can go well with them uh, for their time here on earth. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace. In your name, amen.